Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to another episode of Maximize Your Influence. I'm Steve Olson. I have Kurt Mortensen here with me. We are ready to take our lashings about our prediction about the Super Bowl being a disaster. Uh, it was for the Denver Broncos. But other than that, it seemed to go okay, did it not? We did make the wrong prediction. Maybe we were sensing the New Jersey thing instead of the Denver thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sounds like New Jersey did a great job. Our apologies. I don't know why the Broncos didn't show up. But as far as commercials and... A close game. I don't think it was the best I've seen. <laughs> yeah, but the game was pretty boring. Too, it was. I mean, when the very first play is a safety, you're like, hmm, for the biggest game of the year, something's up. Someone's not thinking. Someone's not focused. Someone's not visualized. Something's happening. I know. I know. That's I, a hard game to end the year on. So we have, I don't know, six months or whatever it is. If that's the last game you get to think about. Yep, exactly. I I put on my Facebook page that the Broncos got the ball for the opening possession and it was all downhill from there. They will have a lot to think about this summer. It'll be interesting to see how well they do, who's coming back, what's going on, and wow. But uh, hats off to Seattle. That's where my wife's from. She was rooting for the Seahawks, and they took it to them. They came to were. You got to give it to them. They came to play. They, and they won. They did. They won big time. They won big time. There's already a lot of conspiracy theories out there about how Denver intentionally threw the game. And <laughs> oh. I don't know if you've seen those, but it's pretty, pretty entertaining to read. But since we can't go a podcast without talking about food, I had some great wings, Hey, <laughs> great nachos. And I'm not much of a cook, but I made homemade mozzarella sticks. <laughs> you made mozzarella sticks. Yeah. My wife got this hot air fryer. So it doesn't use oil. It uses air to make them crispy and they're melty and they were awesome. So wow. 10 points for me out of the blue. I was craving them. And, and of course, YouTube, they'll tell you how to do it. Made it and good stuff. I'm looking at my call log and I don't have any calls from you on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, because you got to divide them up and there just wasn't enough. <laughs> a hot air fryer. I didn't even know that's a thing. So it'll do French fries, do everything all without oil. Gets up to like 400 degrees, makes everything crispy and it does wings awesome. Really? Yeah. Where did she get? I got to go get one of those. At better stores near you. Oh, okay. <laughs> Phillips Hot Air Fryer, your money. Here's your commercial. I'm giving you two thumbs up. We didn't talk about this, just everybody so you know, before we started recording the show. This hot air fryer business is news to me. But I say we give Kurt the Persuasion Ninja. Because <laughs> he has persuaded me inadvertently to buy a hot air fryer. Well, if it has to do with food and something fried, that's pretty easy. Yeah, yeah. You persuaded me to buy <laughs> fried food. You're a real ninja. <laughs> <laughs> I just knew your hot buttons. That's true persuasion. You persuaded yourself. I just talked about it. Hits a few hot buttons. Done deal. I get a check from Phillips Hot Air Fryer. Well, I wish. I yeah. Would, but anyway, I'll have them call me and have them send me a check. Plus, you get to offset the fact that you're the persuasion blunder later on in the show. <laughs> there you go. That's true. So now I'm just kind of equal. The blunder yeah. and the ninja. I kind of gave that away, everybody. But yeah, we're going to drag Kurt through the ringer a little bit later. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Um, <laughs> well, good, good. I hope everybody had a good time watching and the show is doing great. I know that not everybody likes football, but you put up with us nicely. I know this because I looked at our statistics today 
And there are listeners from places that just don't like football. I'm confident in saying that, but we're going to give a shout out. The show continues to grow. I'm looking at the map here, Kurt. Of course, most of our listeners are in LA, Dallas, San Francisco, New York, but we certainly don't want our new batch of listeners in South Africa, Kenya, Egypt, India, Pakistan, Cambodia, Thailand, and here's the whopper, the Islamic Republic of Iran. We want to give you all a big shout out. Shout out to Iran. Yes. Uh, So we have to offend each one of those countries then? Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we've offended everybody in America now. So other countries are... I guess we better be careful with that. (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll be careful depending on where you're from. But uh, (laughs) we're glad, uh, you know, this is maybe just ignorance on my part. But hey, Iran, we're we're glad that you can get the show and that you're listening to it. So I think we'll continue to fill up the map here until the, the last little blank spot is North Korea. I'm not optimistic about our chances in North Korea. Oh, yeah. Well, that, they'd be on the do not offend list anyway. Yeah, yeah <laughs> they would. They would. <laughs> so, yeah, it's going great. If you'd like to send in questions, comments, suggestions to the show, maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com is the email address. No, we do not have a phone number yet. We are too good for that. So you're going to have to settle on email for now at maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com. And like I said... We're on Stitcher, we're on iTunes, we're on BlackBerry Marketplace, Windows Marketplace, or just good old-fashioned MaximizeYourInfluence.com where you can listen to the shows and read our, our half-hearted blog entries. How's that? Ten points. Ten points. Yes, more than the Broncos. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, let's get rolling, Kurt, here. And we like to give very practical advice to our listeners from time to time. Stuff that's going to just really make an impact in their daily lives, like this article from Psych Central on how to spot a psychopath, right? Something everybody needs, because I'm sure they've probably crossed your path and you don't even know it. And if you do know it, it's probably too late. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's too late. You're no longer listening. (laughs) And we talked about narcissists a few episodes ago, which was entertaining. And uh, there's some shocking similarities between psychopaths and narcissists here. But hey, you know, we have to deal with people in the business world. The techniques that we're teaching you assume that the other person is is rational and doesn't have some kind of a mental disorder. But I'm sure all of you wouldn't hesitate to say, I've done business with people that have a mental disorder. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think we would all tend to agree there. So this is how to spot the psychopaths in your life. The, The article gives, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight bullet points that are, that tend to be red flags. So are you ready? So they have to have all eight or just the more they have, the more psychopathic they are? That's right. The more they okay. have. Right, right. Here are the eight attributes. Number one, social influence. Psychopaths have a tendency to seem charming and persuasive. Ooh. Well, wow. So guess I'm in that category. Yeah. This is all an elaborate ruse, Kurt, for me to expose you as a psychopath on the air. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. Number two. Fearlessness. They have a tendency to embrace risk without fear or anxiety. Mm. That sounds a little less like a normal person. You know, the first one, you know, it's a good salesman could be a psycho, right? But the fearlessness, well, we, we certainly want some of that in, in your sales, right? There's a time and place. I guess it depends on the degree. And is that no fear picking up the phone or is that no fear running into walls with your car? 
<laughs> I think it's no fear about physical or social harm. That's oh, what the article okay. kind of goes off about. So they'll embrace that risk. They don't have fear. They don't have anxiety. Okay, number three, stress immunity. They stay cool in difficult circumstances. Mm. Okay. Number four, Machiavellian egocentricity. <laughs> a tendency to consider only personal needs. And, and for those of you that don't know, and we do have listeners in Italy, the birthplace of uh, Niccolo Machiavelli, the author of The Prince. He was uh, arguably the first person to write about leadership. And it was a very cutthroat type of leadership that he wrote about. So uh, when we say something is Machiavellian, that's kind of what we're alluding to, is that something is like a really cutthroat, self-interested, hard style. So they're only thinking about themselves. They will not really have empathy or anything like that for others. Okay. Gotcha. Next one, rebellious nonconformity, a tendency to neglect social conventions and regulations. So they're missing some filters there. Yes, that's correct. Okay. Next one, blame externalization, a tendency to assign blame for problems or obstacles to other people. So with blame, that's kind of like a low self-esteem, which is interesting for a psychopath. We tend yeah. to blame others at somebody else's fault. Okay, interesting. Uh, next, carefree lack of planning. They have limited willingness to make future plans. Mm. And the last one is cold-heartedness. They have no guilt or remorse. Interesting. So pretty cool, huh? Look at your relationships, everyone out there, and see. Are you married to a psychopath? Are you dating a psychopath? Are you working for a psychopath? Now you know. Now you know. I'll make a confession here. I can't help it. I, I read these and I'm like, wow, that guy would make a pretty good salesperson. <laughs> right? They're and charming. In the world of influence, a lot yeah. of those do go hand in hand with great influential people, salespeople. So a couple of those last ones, though, you're like, oh, yeah, where you can't connect with people. There's no empathy. That's when you would have it. So I'd say at least half of them would make a great sales. Yeah, the last two or three tend to get out, outdone. But ironically enough, you see them in a lot of salespeople, right? They want to blame others, right? It's not my fault. I couldn't close a sale. Or they don't want to make future plans. They're just flying by the seat of their pants. And uh, no guilt or remorse. Those are the, you know, the killer salespeople that do the hard close and can go sleep at night. But uh, this other stuff, being persuasive and being fearless, immune from stress, nonconformity, and that's, that's pretty good in the world of sales. I agree. Being influential, those traits, so... Maybe we can recruit psychopaths to be better salespeople. There's a whole market there. I am claiming the turf here, okay? I'm marking my territory, Kurt. I'm going to write the book called uh, Psychopathic Sales. Sounds good. Get yep. the domain. All right, I'll go get it. <laughs> Psychopathic Sailing, right there. There's your title. Yeah, don't, don't steal that from me, listeners, or I'm coming for you, unless you're in <laughs> the Islamic Republic of Iran, which I will not be able to do anything about it. So, Okay. Well, let's keep blazing along here now that we have weirded out the listeners sufficiently in our never-ending quest to alienate them. We wanted to get into a little bit more positive side of psychology and of beliefs with, with the segue being that we've got the Olympics coming up in Sochi, Russia. It's been all over the news about how this was going to be a disaster, too. That's kind of a popular theme in the news, that every big sporting event coming up is going to be a disaster. <laughs> but the mental prowess and focus of Olympic athletes is something I think that we can all appreciate. 
In fact, you know, Kurt, we wanted to talk about a few things, but and I'm putting you on the spot here. You have a pretty good story you tell about uh, the former Olympic speed skater Dan Jansen, and I think you know what story I'm referring to. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if that's something you wouldn't mind uh, kind of telling us to set the stage here for what we're going to talk about. Well, the Olympics are coming up, and that's fascinating to watch these athletes who put their heart and soul and mind to something to that one goal that they're pursuing. I love just to look at their eyes and see that intent, that focus, that concentration, that determination that they're going to get that gold medal. And the story is with Dan Jansen, he's an Olympian, a speed skater, similar to what Apollo Ono was doing as the oval track. And it was interesting that he went to the Olympics as America's boy. He was going to win the gold. He held the world record. It was a no-brainer and slipped and fell and didn't get it. And he trained for another four years, didn't get it. He still held the world record, but he didn't have any gold medals. That was his goal, trained for another four years. Uh, he was cut off, slipped and fell, trained for another four years. And for those that are doing the math, of course, that's 16 years, his last Olympics, he was going, wanted that gold medal, his last one, because he was getting old. And he went into the event that he held the world record, made it to the medal round, was cut off, slipped and fell again, disqualified. But this Olympics, he also qualified for another event. It wasn't his best event, but he qualified for the medal round. And it was one of those incredible moments in Olympic history where not only did he break the Olympic record, he won the gold medal, did a victory lap with his newborn daughter. Everybody was crying. It was an incredible thing. And he got his gold medal. He had focused on something for 16 years. And we're like, how do you do that? Most people can't get out of bed. You focused on this? And we said, how did you do that? And he thought about it for a second. And he said, you know, when I was younger, I had a wise coach that sat me down before we even started practicing that made me list all the reasons why I wanted this gold medal. You know, for me, for my family, financially. And I would practice six hours a day, six days a week. And every day, three, four hours, I was cold, I was hungry, I was tired, I didn't want to go home. And when that happened, I'd pull that list of reasons for my speed suit, and I'd find one that would get me back in the game. With his message being, you don't necessarily fail because of a lack of goals, it's those reasons that they have those goals. And that's why I love the Olympics so much. They're so mentally trained to win, and it's just exciting to watch them win. It's exciting for them to even be there and to represent their countries. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I It's not for me, obviously. I would go nuts having to wait four years between opportunities to do this again. It's just an, a very intense amount of focus. And I kind of wonder where where you cross the line between, okay, you're insane and you're determined, <laughs> right? I guess if people are asking that line, question, yeah. That determination, that focus is what it takes to be successful in life and to be an Olympic athlete. Yeah, you have to want it. And I've heard people talk about the burning the ships, and and I don't know who it was. Everybody says it was Pizarro or it was Cortez. They, they assign it to some different Spanish commander every time. But when they landed in the New World, they burnt the ships, so they had no no choice but to conquer. Is that irresponsible, or is that really what it takes? Well, I think that is a little irresponsible, but when you have the choice to fight or die, then that's pretty motivating. Not the best type of motivation, but it's they, they were pretty motivated to make sure that they won. And it depends, I think, on Olympic athletes, how determined they are. Some have more talent than others. Some have more mental focus than others. But that's what I think is so incredible. We talk about success. That success, whether it be sports or in life, it's all about the mental training, that mindset, that self-persuasion, your thoughts, your beliefs, your vision. It all comes together, and it makes a huge difference in what you're able to accomplish. I like the example of you have a great computer. You have the best, fastest computer on the market, but if you don't have the right software, 
it's not going to matter. Absolutely. And I think along that lines of not having the right software, a lot of people have what you've, you've called over the years a loser's limp. It's a, an excuse. Maybe they verbalized it. Maybe it's in the back of their mind. And it's an out. It's a reason mentally for them to be okay with failing or getting results that under normal circumstances they wouldn't be happy with. What can you tell us about a loser's limp and, and what are some of the common ones that we see? How do you get rid of them? Why would we want to get rid of them? Just kind of go, go off of that if you would. I think it was coined by Zig Ziglar, the, the loser's limp. We see it in sports. For example, my sister's a marathon runner, and every year I'll run a half marathon with her. That's about as far as I want to go. I've done a little bit more, but we do a half marathon every year together. And before the race starts, you hear, oh, my knee's been acting up. We'll just have to see. Or I haven't been training as much as I should, and I haven't been eating right. And I didn't get enough sleep. I don't know, my ankle. So the race hasn't even started, and what they've done, this loser's limp, basically, is your pre-excuse for failure. So you've given yourself a reason why it's okay to fail before you've even started, and that just screws up your mental programming. And we see it in sports all the time, especially Olympics. They're going to the Olympics, but mentally, they're not ready to go. Mentally, they don't believe themselves. Mentally, it's for other people, not them, and they sprain their ankle or they pull a muscle or something happens. That's why it's called the loser's limp, and that's why we never give yourself a pre-excuse for failure. It helps you later on, so if you're like, well, you know, you want to start a business, and oh, before you start, oh, I don't have a college degree, and I don't know enough people, and I'm not that influential, and my people skills aren't that good, and well, I'm not in the right country, and I'm not doing this, and my mom said this. All these things come up before you've even started. Now you have a pre-excuse for failure, and ding, 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 you're going to fail. Yeah, maybe going back to our, our psychopath list, how they had that fearlessness thing on there, that's a big deal here, because when I think about, try to imagine situations where I've had a, a loser's limp, the reason I do that is because I'm afraid of not being good enough. I'm afraid of if I gave something genuinely my best shot, I did everything I could and I lost or I came in second or it wasn't good enough. I mean, that's kind of hard to take that you did the best you could and it wasn't good enough. And you have to get over that fear. And that's why influential people know, okay, some will, some won't. So what? We move on in sports. We're going to move on. We're going to win the next one. That's when... The big part of the Super Bowl is when Joe Namath, he came out in his, what was it, the fur jacket? Yeah, yeah. His story's incredible. They were the huge underdog. There was no way they're going to win. And he was just, no, we're going to win. You watch the confidence, maybe slightly arrogant as far as predicting the win. That's the type of thing you see. And sometimes you need to have that to be successful. Yeah, it's just that interesting dynamic of trying to be a responsible business person. And like you've said many times, hope for the best, plan for the worst, right, in business. But you don't want that planning for the worst to turn into expecting the worst and having it become a self-fulfilling prophecy where, you, where that's where all your preparation is gauged. And so what do you know? That's where everything ends up. And that's, you know, that's life 101 to where we want to be optimistic and optimistic people are more influential. But we want to look around the corners, have a plan B and C, but always hope plan A is going to work. And if it doesn't, we know long-term things are going to work out, but there are going to be bumps in the road, and athletes know that. They know they're not going to win every race, but they focus. They can see themselves. And that's the interesting thing. When they're sitting on that podium and they won that gold medal, they have seen that so many times that it's second nature to them. And that's why I always say the universe will not reward you physically until you believe it mentally, until you visualize it, until you can see it, taste it, touch it, and feel it. Yeah. 
Well, what are some of the self-limiting beliefs that a lot of us have that are holding us back? Because we talked about loser's limp, but what are some beliefs that are just not accurate? If we could get them out of the way, we'd be a lot more successful. What, what are the common themes that you see there? Well, beliefs are important. Let me give a little foundation here about beliefs okay. and the human brain. When we were in first and second grade and we were told something about ourselves, ADD, smart, strange, dumb, positive or negative, it became an instant belief because we didn't have the cognitive abilities to refute it. That's why that age group, those school teachers have so much power. It could be a very positive thing. You're the smartest person versus, yeah, you're not that smart or you have ADD, whatever it is. We get these labels and they become beliefs. Even beliefs about money can start at a very early age. And the challenge is, is we have all these beliefs that were fed to us early on that hurt us. Now as adults, we have conflicting beliefs. If I had a torpedo and I shot it towards a target and had two guidance systems telling it what to do, how long do you think it would take to hit the target? <laughs> uh, never? Probably never. And that's what happens. As adults, we have conflicting beliefs. Well, I want to be wealthy. Well, money's the root of all evil. Now, listeners, I know that's not true, but it could be true for you. Yeah. Oh, I need job security. Oh, I want to be an entrepreneur, right? Yep. I want to go do this and this business, but I don't have a college degree or whatever it is. I mean, you can fill in the blanks there. Those are conflicting beliefs. And those are the type of things that really hold people back. They can't hit their goals. They can't hit their targets because they have conflicting beliefs about themselves, about money, about what it takes to be successful, about any aspect of life. And it really holds people back. Yeah. Well, that's pretty good stuff. So what do you do to begin eliminating some of these common self-limiting beliefs? How can you do that? The first one is to identify it. Most people don't even know as far as what their beliefs are about themselves and, and what to expect. But once you identify it and give yourself permission to win and realize, wow, so if it's money, your beliefs about money are pretty much the same as your parents a lot of times. And if you talk about money to other people, it makes you a little nervous, a little tense. If you make you tense to say, well, I'm a millionaire, I'm going to be a millionaire, then you know you have a conflicting belief about money. One of my favorite stories, remember the, the Miss Phillips story? Yeah, yeah. That's all about conflicting beliefs. Basically, this young boy was growing up in Australia. His father's in the military. They moved all the time. Peter Daniels is the kid that moved around yeah. all the time. And he had dyslexia. And nobody knew that. And of course, back then, oh, stupid, dumb. That was the label. That was his belief. He hated school. They moved again. Two months left of school. Didn't want to go. Dad says, you got to go. So he goes to school and has this teacher named Miss Phillips. And you take the worst teacher you've ever had and multiply it by 10. Right? That's Miss Phillips. Uh. She's just terrible. <laughs> She'd yell at him. She'd strike him. And... One day she was hanging out a test and she had on half the paper a big red F for Peter Daniels and turned it over. He was embarrassed. She went to the front of the classroom and said, class, Peter Daniels failed another test. In fact, come to the front now, Peter. And he looked around. She's all sheepish. She says, now come to the front now. And he walked up. She turned him around, grabbed him by the arm and says, class, this is Peter Daniels. He's new. He failed another test. He's probably going to fail out of school. He should be a failure his whole life. Probably shouldn't talk to him. He probably shouldn't be his friend. And she pushed him to go sit down. Now, I don't know what her motives were, but I think we both agree she should be shot. Yeah, okay? whatever your motives she, are. It's a... She just destroyed this life. And guess what? He failed out of school. And everything he tried, failure, failure, failure. And he, and he wanted to get into a business. And, of course, family and friends said, oh, don't do it, don't do it. And he realized that all these failures were traced back to this experience. So he identified the conflicting belief. He changed his belief, gave himself permission to win, got into real estate, commercial real estate in Australia, and became a billionaire, really successful. He retired from real estate, and he wrote the book I'm 
talking about. And the title of the book is Miss Phillips, You Were Wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you were wrong. And we all have a Miss Phillips that is giving us a belief. We all have a book to write to show that we can change and make it happen. But that's where conflicting beliefs can really hinder us from self-persuasion, from motivation, and from achieving our goals. So the biggest step then is just identifying that it's there and realizing that it's, uh, that it's false, that it's conflicting with what you're trying to do. Yeah, especially those about money, about success, those about fear. Once you identify it, then you can – and own up to it. You don't want the excuses. It's not a big deal. Own up to it. Okay, I have that belief. Then – you can slowly erode the one belief away while you strengthen the other belief. Oh, that's good. That's good. Anything else you want to add on self-limiting beliefs and motion control, all that kind of fun stuff? There's a lot of podcasts there as far as what we could talk about. I think the big picture as we talk about the Olympics is that vision. They have seen themselves win that gold medal. And when you have a vision of the future, it brings commitment, direction, and persistence. When you have a vision of the future, decisions are easy. And it's important to know that winners win in advance. And the big eye-opener for a lot of people here is the opposite of vision is worry. Worry is negative goal setting. And here's what you need to know. If you're stuck on worry, what about this? What if this happens? The economy, what oh, so-and-so, what if this happens? If you're stuck on worry, it's because your vision's not strong enough. When you can see your target, when you can see your goal, when you visualize it over and over again, the little bumps in the road don't matter. You don't have time to worry because you are in pursuit of that goal. And also understand there are only two ways to face the future, with great excitement, vision, or with apprehension, worry. And what I'm going to do for everyone is, hey, your slate is clean. I don't care what past mistakes you've made. I don't care what stupid things you've done. It does not matter. Your slate is clean for the future. Now your family and friends will judge you on your past mistakes and not your future potential, but you have to focus on your future potential, create that vision. Remember, the universe will not reward you physically until you believe it mentally. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, good stuff, Kurt. Good stuff. Thanks for going over that. And we probably should carve out some future podcasts to get into this stuff in more detail because it is such a plentiful subject and it's so important. That uh, mental side, all the techniques that we're talking about on the, on the persuasion front, they, they don't really matter if you don't believe that you can do them, if you don't believe that you can be successful. They become actually pretty transparent and useless <laughs> if there's not any belief on your part. Yeah, without that mental programming, that self-persuasion, it's not going to matter. If you can't persuade yourself, you're not going to be very good at persuading other people. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was an instance where you pulled a Homer Simpson and Me? Yeah, you. I, I don't recall. <laughs> well, you're you're gonna need to recall. <laughs> I'm a politician. I, I don't recall. What is what does blunder mean? How do you define blunder? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't blunder. I inhaled. There you go. Yeah. Oh, don't don't don't. Well, since we hear Homer, I guess I can talk about. I do blunders. I'm far from perfect. I was at a seminar teaching some pretty complicated advanced persuasion influence skill. The people in the room were wanting advanced skills, latest research, I was going through some things. I was getting into really deep double dissonance. I'll just leave it at that. Some skills that are advanced. And I explained it in a way, and some people weren't quite getting it. And so in my intelligence, I said, well, hold on. Let me dumb it down for you. <laughs> <laughs> Which... 
Yeah, at the time it made sense. I wasn't trying to be derogatory, but as they called me out on my poor verbal packaging and word choice, that that's basically saying, you're stupid. Let me simplify it. <laughs> Let me make it easier. There are probably a lot of other words I could use, so I will take the blunder by saying, I'll dumb it down for you. What did they say? I mean, how did they call you out on this? Now, any other audience probably would have called me out. They just would have been offended. But since it was a seminar in influence and negotiation, they say, wait a minute, you just talked about verbal packaging. Is that the best you can do? You calling me <laughs> dumb? So we had the relationship. We were going back and forth. We had fun with it. They weren't offended. But someone actually raised their hand and called me out on it. <laughs> That's pretty good. I bet it came out of your mouth and you're going, oh, geez, what have I done? <laughs> yeah, well, it's one of those things like, oh, yeah, that's going to haunt me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I had one t one time on the phone. I was talking to a client about uh, internet mar an internet marketing course, and uh, so I told him we were going to do some intercourse marketing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll that'll do it. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> so we should probably wind it down now uh, that uh, we've eliminated all credibility that we might have. Especially yeah, today. we all have our blunders. But at least I got a half blunder, half ninja show. So that's I'm feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, yeah, and I think the podcast was dumbed down enough for the audience, don't you? <laughs> yeah, go ahead and email us if you want us to dumb it down a little bit more <laughs> so we can offend the rest of you. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't say a lot about you because we podcast on like a third grade level. So if you need that dumbed down, <laughs> yeah. it's not looking good for you. Yeah, we'll have another podcast for you. Yes, yes. Okay. Well, hey, Kurt, thanks again for your time as usual. Once again, listeners, feel free to email us at maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com with comments, questions, derogatory remarks. We appreciate you listening to the show and are glad to be adding more and more countries and look forward to many more podcasts in the future. We will see you next week. See you next week. <laughs>